got our one year anniversary podcast and 2001 Space Odyssey gets its 50th anniversary of being a cinematic landmark in science fiction. And hello listeners, this is the Retrogrades Podcast. I'm your moderator, Sean. This is episode number 47. And yes, you heard right, we are talking about 2001 A Space Odyssey. And yes, this is our one year anniversary of doing podcasts. Yay! And as always, give ourselves a round of applause because our audience is all digital, all 12 of you. We appreciate you. <laughs> <laughs> One that plays in, in Halo when you have that one. <laughs> yeah. When you, when you throw confetti. Um, yeah, it's an uh, important landmark in film history, I guess. Like, not that many movies turn 50. I mean, it's still rememberable. <laughs> more of them will be, I think, in the future. Because let's face it, guys, at, back in those days, you might have like one or two movies released per week, and they'd be in theaters for like months and months. Now we have like five movies come out every week. Man, like it's hilarious. The other and day, yeah. and they're all forgettable. Actually, I will never forget the Hurricane Heist. If that comes out on Blu-ray, <laughs> I'm gonna make my my co-podcasters watch it, and I want to do an episode on it because I can't get that movie out of my head. Okay, it was well, so it was way too much fun to be like passed over that. Badly. If you buy it, we can do a special on it. Okay, no, Deal. you know what, what I'm gonna do? <laughs> Try to avoid watching it, and then I'm, when. Uh, Fraser turns like 60 and he's bald and I'll, I'll go poke him with a stick and like here and I'll throw him the DVD of the Hurricane Haste <laughs> to see if he remembers it. Alright, how about this? I get a signed copy of the DVD and like a signed poster and like I make up t-shirts <laughs> and I write my fan fiction. Uh, all right, don't wait. Wait a second. You're gonna write fan fiction on Hurricane Heist? <laughs> I think. I think. I don't know about you, but I've already got it mapped out of my head. It's just some guy driving away from a, a, a hurricane, and you just see something that was like a flash of color go across this, uh, his windshield. So he gets out, and it's just a copy of the Blu-ray of Hurricane Heist, and he, and he just looks up at the sky. And then it just, that's it. <laughs> just wait, wait, wait a moment. Where, where are the sex scenes in this? Hurricane Heist 2. This Otherwise, time there how, are two how you make money out of this? If the, you don't write sex scenes. Just like Twilight. That's how we have Well, you gotta, you gotta put those in the sequel, you know, to generate uh, buzz. Because yeah. the first movie has to be about him discovering the film in a hurricane. And that being his... It's his, it's his Wilson... <laughs> For surviving the hurricane is <laughs> a copy of Hurricane Heist, and then Wilson! just use reuse Castaway's plot about finding a Blu-ray oh, of man. that I film. F- I felt bad like when <laughs> I feel like everyone in their life has a Wilson, and they lost that Wilson somehow. But it's like, are you talking about like a favorite toy or a, like a, what are you what are you going off on that? Yeah. Like, like a favorite toy or person, I guess. It's a toy person. Is, is, there, is there such a thing? Well, I think Wilson is the metaphor of filling the void of... Yeah, have you tried to to write a script with only one character? Like, just talking to himself, it gets boring. So that's why they have to put a volleyball beach uh, ball there. It would be really boring. I wouldn't mind seeing like a short film done on Stephen King's Survivor type. That's interesting. No. Do you know that story? No. It's a it's a it's a castaway kind of story about this guy that's stranded on a desert island and he runs out of food, but there's nothing on the island, mm-hmm. so he starts amputating and eating parts of himself. Oh, uh. James Franco, another Oscar nod. Just saying, he already did 127 hours. He just got to no, get but like stop. That, that. <laughs> 128 hours. This time he's stuck for one hour longer. No, but like they're intercuts of him with remembering his life. Yes, whatever. yes, no, no. That, that's what the the story does too, and it it intercuts how like how much of a terrible person he is. So it each limb is almost like this cathartic forgiveness of his own sins. It's really weird, but it's cool. <laughs> All right. Um, but I didn't do that this week. This week, actually, Alejandro, it sounded like you had something to say. What did you do this week? Um. Well, I managed to finish, um, yeah, sorry, I don't binge like other people. Well, that's I, fine. I managed to finish uh, watching uh, Alter Carbon. Okay. Uh, this Netflix show. Uh, you mean Blade Runner Part 2 <laughs> or Part 3, I guess? 
No, honestly, it, yeah, it borrows some some stuff from Blade Runners, like in 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 the technical aspect. I will say like a film noir type of deal because it's a story about like a sort of a detective trying to find solve a case. But uh, what is interesting is how they, I guess, the novel which I haven't read uh, pushes this idea of. Uh, how um, the, the human, the physicality of our body is this possible? But our conscience, or I don't want to say soul, because they don't, I mean, they sort of touch this topic in, in the series, but... Yeah. But they don't mention, like, this is your soul, and you have only one soul, and, 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 and if it disappears, you're basically dead. No, it's the idea that humanity managed to uh, code into one um, I will say like it's like a little disc that you put in the, in the back of your neck like in, inserted in your in your column yeah um, and it's called um, and, and it has your conscious all your information right and they refer to the human body as, as a sleeve that you can change so you get these weird scenarios where people like like the the body that age, but you know it, you change to another, a new sleeve, a younger one or even a different uh, gender, and it's interesting to, like how how they use this idea and then. It takes a little bit of time to kind of understand the logics of the world because there are some people who kind of blackmail and use this uh, this this um. This thing of uh, using different sl- uh, sleeves, different bodies to make clones and, you know, to make a backup of his conscious memory. So it's a little bit intricated. And, but at the end, it's like, you know, it, it's it's quite entertaining. I don't know if gonna, it's going to be a second season because for me, it sort of had a closure. Okay. Because they, well. Every season of Stranger Things kind of, especially season two, that has a closure as well. Well, speaking of Stranger Things... No, um, but like... Okay. (laughs) No, no, you you didn't see the last show, like, we're dancing here on the... What? Snowball... Oh yeah, dance? the snow. The, the How you sn- call it? The it's fish like, under the sea dance. It's like it's like a prom for kids. For, for I don't know. I think they did that in the eighties, where they would like. Um, they do dances for middle schools. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's a United States thing. And high, and they're supposed to be like in like early high school slash middle school. Yeah, I thought they were supposed to be like thirteen in this season. Anyway, point is that was the ending of it to show that they had like a happily ever after somewhat until season three happens. Yeah, of um, course. Yeah, but. Yeah, speaking of Stranger Things, just a quick aside, I found a website that sells cassette tapes and that you can buy the Stranger Things soundtrack. On <laughs> and we all know that Fraser <laughs> is a cassette connoisseur, having yeah, multiple himself. I spent like $100 on that website, man. I'm waiting for that stuff to come in the mail. And I'm, I'm disappointed when you say that. You know what? Because I'm older than you and I'm more into digital than, and you go back to cassettes. What the hell, man? I mean, there's nothing wrong with having a hobby of uh, retro <laughs> things. I still have like cassette tapes. And we have two VCRs in this house. Actually, wait, what? Yeah, we have one in the ma- in the living room, and there's one in my bedroom. Oh wow, I didn't yeah. know you had two. Well, the other one's like a TV with a VHS player built into That's it. What it. Oh, gotcha. That's yeah. what it's called, Dean. Actually, what? I have a little aside about what? cassette tapes. Mm-hmm. Is uh, my parents did something really cool because I love Star Wars, and we would do long road trips. So what happened is, my dad found a way to take the audio from a VHS and record it onto a cassette tape so I could listen to the entirety of Star Wars, I guess now they're uh, episode four, five, and six. This is before they were even numbered. I could listen to all of those on one cassette, except for the last, like, five minutes of each film. But I could listen to all of it, so I know the film's off by heart because of that. I would just listen to it in car rides and, you know, when I was going to bed. So, I mean... Fun, fun stuff about cassette tapes. I used to love my cassette player, and I think my it's fun. Like the the whole, even the sound of like the click, like when you click into yep. press play and the whirrings. It's it's fun. Go ahead. Yeah, there's this place on Spadina in Toronto called Sonic Boom. 
Not a sponsor. Yeah, not a sponsor. <laughs> and I think, like, from their website, it looked like they you could still buy, like, boombox tape decks and stuff there. Make a better one. Because one we have in our kitchen is okay, but it's only got one speaker, and it's, not, it's sort of wonky uh, sound. They even said vinyls. You know, vinyls. Yeah, really, like, expensive, but old school and good stuff. Well, style. they're, like, they're reprints. They're not, like... Yeah, nobody mean not the originals. The originals, because... <laughs> You know, like um, Metallica actually has their own vinyl press now, so like they can make to order yeah, but different really? colored records. You, That's you, cool. You know, you know what the sad truth about this is they worn out because it's a needle. It's a niche. Yeah, but it's it, it's a niche thing. I mean, we've got a. I don't know. I don't, even, I don't even know where the niche. How came many from? plays though before it runs out? Do you think like a thousand? A hundred. One hundred plays and that's something it. like that. It depends on. Really, only a hundred players. I actually just got a vinyl set with a uh, a game in the mail. I mean, so, people kind of yeah. like. I I think it's pretty cool. It's Life is Strange uh, before the storm. It's a prequel. Yeah, you were a fan of that first one. I remember you telling me about it. Yeah, and so what they did for the prequel is they gave they did this special set only on the Square Enix store that was four like forty fives and a CD soundtrack. And then the disc of the game, all the extra content, and an art book. Uh, and two little figures of the two main characters. In the that's a lot, Mike. You bet. <laughs> or that's a lot. Yeah, stuff. but you know how much that was? And I know you're a fan of the little figures. It's 80 bucks. Oh, what? that's not even bad. I wasn't the one that was like, I wasn't the only one who wanted this. Pauline also was like, oh, I like this game. And it's one of the you only games that we both like. So I'm like, well, why not get it, right? I mean, it's yeah. no, it's the price not. of a full price game, and it, the, normally it would be like the game like on disc would be fifty bucks. So it was not Whoa. not too bad. But what did you do this week, Fraser? I'm kind of curious. You if, know what? <laughs> if anything, I'm probably going to draw a little bit. Like I watched the Hitman's Bodyguard with uh, Ryan Reynolds and. Oh Steve really? Jackson. Well, that's I think something. the part of that, of that movie that worked is the chemistry between those two. But to be honest, it was just kind of a little cliched, and the problem was. Like, to make a good action comedy, I think you have to do what, like, 22 Jump Street did, where the action scenes themselves are funny. Yeah. You know, like, the little car chase they did in 22 Jump Street where they're driving, like, the football helmet mascot <laughs> around, and it's... Yeah, it's like, that's funny, whereas this one it was just, like, a normal car chase, and then afterwards Ryan Reynolds will say something funny, you know. Yeah, so it just it didn't quite hit, you know. It was just slightly off mark, but it was still... It was okay. Less swearing in it, though. My goodness. I mean, you know how uh, Samuel L. Jackson is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, he's not someone yeah. you want to bring at church. You, know, you wouldn't meet him, uh, bring him to meet uh, you know, your family or something. Why not? Unless I, really, like, I would. Hey, it's I would. It's Samuel yeah. Jackson. <laughs> All right. Maybe, maybe I'm in the minority here. All right. Well, anyway, point is, yeah, not bad is the review. Cool. How about you, Alejandro? What you do this week other than Altered Carbon? We, wait, we well, asked you first. Yeah, yeah I, okay. I can go, though, if that's Sorry, cool. Sean. No, it's fine. <laughs> Sorry. Just, yeah. just keep shouting. Don't, don't snub the host or anything. No. Uh, well, I mean, we're all hosting this, really. I mean, at this point, we've been, didn't, been doing this for a while. So I am actually... I didn't do a lot this week, but I found digging up some stuff. I'm doing a, what I call a in 2018 dot, dot, dot list, which is basically... Every movie I've watched that I have never seen before, so first time viewing, every TV show I've never seen before, uh, every game I've completed, every book I've finished, comic, and also just like either career or personal milestones. Personal? Okay. So, and I've got this massive list, well, it's becoming bigger, uh, on uh, my phone that I can just kind of quickly reference and... Going through that this morning, I noticed something that I haven't really talked a lot about. Have you guys ever played a game called The Walking Dead, specifically by Telltale? Uh, no, I think I played one couple episodes of the, the first. Yeah, they're, they're, they do them in seasons, like five episodes each is about two to two and a half hours per season. Yeah, like uh, that's the only thing I've played of those games. Yeah, so I just finished season three. Uh-huh. And because season four, which is said to be the finale of all of these uh, games, is coming out this year, they're basically they're not quite point and click adventures, but it's like watch a cinematic and choose the dialogue in a similar vein to Mass Effect. 
except that's 90% of the game. And then there's a little bit of gameplay thrown in, so it's extremely cinematic and character-driven. So I did the, the third season, and it is a really, really good story. Uh, and, like, I don't have any siblings, but it's a really good story about two brothers and how they kind of have different philosophies. And it also kind of ties into the first two seasons because there's a little girl who is... Uh, really needs like a figure in her life to kind of look out for her and they in the first season and they've kind of transitioned her to a very powerful teen so many years have passed they did a nice time jump and we get to see someone who starts off in the series at like 6 or 7 and now she's like 14 and, and she's like the most badass character in the whole series because she's had to grow up in a zombie apocalypse, but she's not without a humanity and she has a really strong moral compass. Mm -hmm. So it's really awesome to see good storytelling like this. And it's actually in no way connected to the TV show or the main story arc of the graphic novels. So it doesn't, it doesn't, Negan doesn't appear like in sort of like... No, no, everything is original Uh, for this game. It gets approval from the creator, but it's all original in the context of the game itself. That's a good way to do it. I know Telltale also did like a Batman one. I I played the Game of Thrones one. Game of Thrones one, okay. Uh, You you get to manage another house. It's like a minor house. Like a minor house that it's bleach allegiance to the Stark. Oh really? Uh, house, but Uh-oh. you know you're like, you're you're become like a politician there. Like, yeah, we can trade these, but you have to give me your sister in exchange. You're like, oh god, like you know, there's a lot of yeah. It's not their easy choices. Hmm. Okay, well, you know what? The, these more power to them to make those kind of games because there is more of a variety of gameplay nowadays than ever before. Oh, yeah, I watched Tomb Raider this week, too. Yeah, this was pretty forgettable, to be honest. <laughs> wow. It <laughs> like felt just... like a really low-budget remake of the game. Like, I mean, parts of it really worked. Like, the part, weirdly enough, the part before she gets to the island was really good, but on the island, I sort of felt like just, they just didn't just have a chills. lot of stuff happening and, like, <laughs> not a lot of money. I was hoping they would do that seven flashbacks and just have her start on the island. That would have been cool. Also, like, even stuff like, you know, the boat in the game has, like, a big crew. It's, like, her and one other guy in the movie. It was just, like, they cut out as much, like, as possible. Of the other characters. Yeah, there just wasn't really... You can't say there was no, like, dead weight or something being cut. It's just there was so little personality now. (laughs) Okay, quick question. Is there any sort of cameo of uh, Angelina Jolie in this movie? Yeah, that, that, that would have been cool, but no. That would have been interesting if she was the villain. That, was, <laughs> that might be a little too far, but um, yeah, even the villain was kind of forgettable in this. He sort of doesn't seem to be taking it seriously. Honestly, it, I would have rather been at home watching the original or Relic Hunter or playing the game or something. Well, I mean, playing the game, of course, because it, it's... Yeah, it was a good game. The, the game is like the, it's pretty hard to the adapt. The 2013 one yeah. with the islands. Yeah, no. Yeah, not bad. Yeah. It's hard to adapt quality into another media format if it's already so good in one way. That's why if they ever do, like, well, I know, the the Witcher series is coming. You know what? I can't wait. I need to finish reading those books, all right? And <laughs> I you, need to finish those you books. You guys got to play number three because let me tell you, I mean, like, I'm not caught up with the books. I own one. I own the the first one, the the Last Wish, that introduces the character with all the short story mm-hmm. vignettes. But I have not gotten into the series proper, and I like it. But I really, really like the way that the game, the games develop. Having never played the first game, I jumped right into two, and then three. Three is really friendly if you don't know the lore, because they catch you up, and they don't do it like they don't do it like. All this exposition, go. It's like gradual, just like details in the world that's sprinkled in. So it doesn't right, hit you well, over the head. So it's cool. to So guys, now we're going to be moving on and talking about our main feature, which is 2001: A Space Odyssey from 1968. Why are we talking about this? It's not because something special is coming out this week, because there really isn't much. We're talking <laughs> about. The 50th anniversary of 2001 A Space Odyssey. It's going to be 50 years to the day if you are hearing this on our day of release. So let's unpack this. 
Well, Pretty. that's a lot to unpack. 50 years. Like, it's like like good old wines, right? With, with time, it gets better. Yeah. The, this movie has aged really well. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. What, what was your first impression? I mean, because I have, like, mixed, my, mixed impressions for the first time I see it. My first impression was my dad showed this to me when I was four. Okay, that's because I like because I liked uh, Star Wars, and he would also show me. He also showed me the uh, the first seven Star Trek movies. Okay, so that like explains the, a lot. The ones with Captain Kirk, the first six with Captain Kirk, and the first one with Picard. Uh, yeah. And yeah, you know the Star Trek Generation is not a bad. One. Yeah, and um, yeah, but yeah, you watch it just because it was a space movie. It was kind of like me going into the kind of space movies. I guess I was really spaced out. Ha ha ha! But uh, after, my after. my dad's like, oh well, we can take a look at this, and he showed it to me, and it, I think he was taping it because it was on TV, and that's what we would do if we didn't own something back in the day. You just tape it if it's on TV, right? And. Yeah, uh, I remember it being very, very weird. A little scary, even, with the, uh, you know, the yeah, primates in the opening. And oh, those the, were the, the coolest part of the movie for me. That was scary for me, if, if I'm yeah. sure. I mean, if you're a kid and you're watching that, you're like, oh, those, they're hitting each other bones. I found I was very but, bored, and it didn't make a lot of sense. And then I actually decided I didn't like the movie for a while. And then jumping ahead to high school or so, I watched it again. And then I'm like, I like it a little more. And every time I watch it, I like it a little more. You know what? This is actually, <laughs> I had the opposite experience as you because I watched it for the first time this week. And I, really? Like, I'd never seen it before. I know it's one of the ones you're supposed like everyone's supposed to have seen. So like, how did you I do film school? Not. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of them I haven't seen that. Where it's like, how did you make it through film school? Mind you, we it? knew people who never saw a lot of classic films. That's like, yeah, that's true. Really? But yeah, no, I actually I enjoyed it a bit. But I will say, it reminded me of the first original Star Trek movie with lots and lots of very very slow moving shots of space and it's sort of like yes. It's cool that you can do this, and I'm sure no one had ever seen it before. But now I've seen it so many times in Star Wars, <laughs> Star Trek, Serenity, Stargate, you know, various TV shows with spaceships in them. We've seen space. So coming from that, I think I had a little bit of an unfair advantage over the original audience who would have probably been blown away. Also, you had that sort of weird, like, 60s, like, art house vibe. I, oh, maybe not art artsy vibe or like the, the final scene where he like sees himself as an old man then he is the old man and then it was actually stuff like that it was sort of like what are, what are they trying to say with this yeah. well the story was developed both by uh, Arthur C. Clarke and Stanley Kubrick and Arthur C. Clarke eventually penned the novel adaptation which is actually a very strong accompaniment to the film because well, it, it does kind of sense because you have to use words to describe what's going on instead of just you know, this is one rare case where show don't tell, like, sure it makes it look cool, but, like, I have no idea what's going on, you know. Oh, especially with the ending? Yeah. It turns into a baby. <laughs> well, he has... Is it, it representing I, humanity's I, rebirth or something? I don't get no, it. But Reincarnation? I think with Cooper, you don't have to... It's it's a different kind of way cinema. Because it's more like a metaphor. That's what I felt when I watched it the first time. And I think... Uh, we don't see this kind of cinema anymore. I, I guess the um, the last the last movie that I kind of sort of comparing to that kind of vibe is uh, uh, Tree of Life. Similar, yeah. I actually was thinking Interstellar. A little, okay, a no, little bit. Okay, what I'm saying. Oh, is, okay. You mean the style? I'm saying that like uh, Kubrick uses like visuals to evoke a metaphor. It's not like yeah. We're so used to okay. This this character walking here and falls into this hole, and you, okay, it's just like spoon feeding the audience. Yeah, it's this kind of uh, storytelling, right? But Kubrick is like, is, is like, images create a sort of feeling, and that's what I what I experience when uh, when I watch uh, Space Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Like there's some Jerry moments, especially when you see the monolith for the first time, and you don't know what the hell is going on, right? It's just like these. Uh, they're not really chimps. They're like uh, 
or ancestors community they start touching the monolith and, and this jarring sound you know this soundtrack like the voices the, sa- the soundtrack makes and makes this movie <laughs> it's just like there's something going on and it, it, it kind of evokes feelings into the audience yeah feelings of like the unknown and like you're at the edge of something important but uh, and, and it's like I don't see that anymore that, that much in movies it's just like well okay here's Batman jumping blah 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 here's Superman jumping too mm. I mean it takes a little bit more time to crack and I feel that's why Space Odyssey is one of those movies that you have to watch like three times I mean I've, I've seen it four times And I can tell you, the first time I watched it on my laptop, I I, <laughs> I, I took it from the library, the, the, the DVD, and I was yep. like, okay, well, let's go watch it. It's like, I say, oh my God, this movie is so tedious. It's so long. I'm watching a small screen. Yeah. Then I watch it the second time in a, in a in TV screen. Like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit more sober into, you know, focus on more in the story and see a little bit more yeah. details. And then I watch it like my the last time I watched it uh, was uh, TIFF because they re- they release a, a 70 millimeter print, an original really like what would be like the original release. I'm yeah. so lucky with that because they they occasionally play it. Next time they do it, I keep missing it. But next time they play it at TIFF, I'm gonna go see it. Okay, but the thing is. They recreated sort of the experience that back in the 60s, like, you know, you're there in the in the movie theater and the curtain is down and they stay playing the score for about 15 minutes. It's like, wow, I I haven't seen that before. And then curtain opens slowly and then it starts the movie, right? Yeah. But what I notice if I compare like watching in a movie theater in a 70 millimeter sprint, I'm not... Is that, Like the format, it was meant to be screen. It's like it's a totally different experience. I think it didn't feel as slow as I was watching a, on a, on, a, on my laptop. Because it's got the full immersion. Effect. Yeah. It, like this yeah. is a big this is a big screen movie. Absolutely. It's a it's a big screen movie, and also yeah, the way especially it, the scene where it's sort of the he's traveling through that weird like wormhole thing or something. You know, with all the lights flashing towards him and stuff. It, like, it, that would look good on a big screen. It's like the an interdimensional... Gateway or... Travel? Whatever he was doing, yeah. it was really crazy looking, all right? What, what I'm saying is just, like, Cooper was thinking, okay, this is not going to be on, on a TV screen. It's going to be on a movie, movie, on a movie theater. Yeah. So I think we're sort of missing that now on. Because everyone is thinking, oh, well, it's just going to be on Netflix, it's going to be on a streaming service, it's going to be on a cell phone. And that, and yeah. It's a little bit detrimental to the art form of cinema, I guess. But, I mean, that could be a, a, an hour debate of <laughs> how I should, you should shoot this. Well, I, th- I think it's interesting because I was having a discussion with one of my coworkers the other day about... Like what kinds of movies I like, and I re- and I, and they're like, oh, well, what, what do you like to see in the theater? And I said, I only see a movie in a theater if I dub it theater worthy. And they said, well, what does that mean? I'm like, it has to have a certain scale to it, or it has to have a certain like, it needs to have a certain cinematic quality about it that is like grabs you and shakes you. No, you have to watch this in theaters. For me, like. Rom-coms, well, I guess romantic movies, comedies, and horror films, I don't really care if I see in theaters, even if they're great. And the reason I won't typically go for that is because, to me, horror films are more effective with the lights off at home, not with the room of a hundred people. Uh, comedies are more lighthearted affairs that you can save your money, you can watch those at home. And... And romantic films, again, you want the intimacy with the kind of one-on-one or just like a small room of people, not a massive room. But, I mean, if you go see something like 2001 or Star Wars or like anything or Lord of the Rings, like something that has this really big cinematic quality, it's like you need to see it on a big screen. I feel like those are the kinds of movies that kind of... I think they care more about the art form when they know that there's like... a a bigger scope to it. Maybe I'm kind of losing the 
conversational a little bit, but I just feel like no, films I mean, are kind of made as if some movies are made as like you know you're only going to see it on this device. Like they're doing straight to Netflix movies a lot. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I'll say this: this movie certainly had big visuals and big ideas. The one thing that was small was the conversation and the dialogue for the most part. There was no talking for over 20 minutes at the beginning of the movie, eh? Yeah. It, it, there's a reason for Holy for catfish, sir. And let me tell you something. <laughs> it actually worked really... Okay, yes, I know, because it was the AIDS. But even then, like, the whole conversation, I was looking at Wikipedia, and I pointed out all they do is have, like, little chit-chat for, like, the first, like, huge amount, huge chunks of the movie... And maybe it's supposed to illustrate sort of the general going through the motions, meaninglessness of almost all human interaction. You know, it's a little depressing to look at it that way. But like, even when he's talking to his own daughter, it's just sort of like, oh yeah, he's going through the motions. He's yeah, saying, yeah. saying the typical "Good morning, how are you? Happy birthday." This is your own daughter, and you're not even gonna, you know. But this is—it's also kind of showing like, hey, he's on a business trip. This is how you would. Do this kind of communication in the future? Yeah, which is cool. In like, the I mean, they're not yeah. wrong completely. We do have face calls. It's just nobody really uses it, them that much. I think, um, and also this, I noticed this. Um, the beginning of the movie, where you mentioned, there's no dialogue. Um, I guess, like, and I noticed this in the editing, the pace of the movie. Like, it's really long takes at the beginning, and it's the absence of technology. Right? Yeah. Or like when we see these uh, these chimps, kind of hybrid uh, man chimp, it's like everything goes slow because of the lack of, uh, of technology. Right? When you start watching like further in the movie, the pace speeds up a little bit more. Right? Yeah. When the, the presence of technology. And I, I think that kind of mimics how, um, you know, like technology kind of changes our perception of time. Like, even right now, like... Even being able to look at a watch. Yeah. Like, and you're always looking at that when you're at work because if you have to do something by a certain time for your job or, or whatever, right? Or even, you know, like, we're so, we have a Snapchat. Like, we have a span of attention of six seconds, something like that. Yeah. Minute. Yeah, you can say that, but uh, our society also listens to, like, six-hour podcasts of Joe Rogan, you know. Like but we, it, if you have enough insightful, interesting things to keep someone interested, you can. What, what I'm, what I'm saying yeah. is just a, the feeling of immediacy. Okay. That the 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 movie kind of portrays with this slow beginning, and then when the monolith shows up and everything changes, that's when things kind of speeds up. And it changes every time they encounter. One. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing that I notice and I really like, is this chimp that grabs this bone. That becomes a tool that's like the beginning of technology. Yeah. And you know what? What's the first thing we do with that? Destroy. Destroy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing I liked about the bone thing too, all the ones who are carrying bones in it are not like dancing around making noises either anymore. It's sort of like they've become more mature. It's like they've become aware of what that this is a tool. Yeah. They're aware that instead of, you know, just making lots of noise to scare someone off, you can, you know, if you can actually do something about it, you don't need to make a bunch of noise to scare someone off and dance around and stuff. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like, because um, although even the, the ones in part of the tribe that where they have the bones, the ones who aren't carrying bones are still dancing around making noise. I don't know. I just noticed that. I and, thought that was the best part and, of the movie. Like I said, it was just and, and of, and of, was really cool. Yeah, no, it's just like, is that feeling that technology kind of changes everything? Yeah, and uh, I love the the jump, the the cut that Kubrick does. Like you know, the throw the bone in the air, then it's a satellite. This and yeah, and I read a really funny commentary on that. It's like, well, that was just to show that no matter how uh, civilized or how far we get with technology, we're still gonna throw right, white cylinders in the air because <laughs> those satellites hey, hey. look the same size. I'm like, that's really funny. Yeah, and, <laughs> we're still gonna throw stuff in the air and see if and hope it stays there. Like, like, do you remember in film school where we were learning editing or well, I don't remember first editing or directing like it's a match cut yeah yeah like the one of the most popular cuts in film history and it's super clever I, like to kind of shortcut into technology into yeah how we manage to to go to space to be something that is really 
attached to the to Earth, to really primitive to something that is in space now? Well, let's unpack space a little bit because the um, this is still one of the only examples of a film that shows how artificial gravity in space would work. <laughs> Possibly the only one. Uh, you need to spin something yeah. in order to have gravity. That's you, you have to do it. Unless the mass of it is large enough for it to support gravity on its own. Even the moon it doesn't have the same kind of gravity that we're used to on the Earth because it's not the same size. Yeah, yeah well, that's interesting. So the fact that they... like This film is seen as revolutionary in terms of not only science fiction, but just science in general, because it's kind of like every sci-fi movie that you see now, if they have people like walking on ships uh, or inside ships like Star Trek or whatever, you're kind of like, you do have to have a certain amount of ludonarrative dissonance after seeing 2001, because it's like, I actually know that, that that's not possible. So they usually have to find a way to explain it or they don't bring it up at all. It's one or the other. Star Trek explains it. Uh, Star Wars ignores it. Well, so start, it, and, and like different things will, right? Yeah. I mean, of course, because you got to serve the story first. But I like how 2001 Space Odyssey is very much grounded in that idea. And to this day, like I was really hoping in 2001 we would see something like this in 2001. We didn't get nope. that. Not even close. Instead, nope. we got 2001 audio video, that store. <laughs> wow. uh, early 2000s connection there for you folks it's All still right, in so we've, we discussed a lot more about this movie than we normally do before getting into the stuff we liked and didn't like um, specific stuff I liked about it I can say that I thought the opening scene the, the, the dawn of mankind was the most powerful part of the movie the visuals were just really impressive they made it for only 12 million alright that's pretty good alright let's face it that's, that's really good Considering the return on it, too, it was like 100-something million. You don't see that kind of return nowadays. And, yeah, no, just really If you good. do, it makes headlines, and it's way more popular than this movie was just when it came out. But I th- I, this film is such an interesting phenomenon. Uh, and one thing I really, really liked about it is the use of... We haven't even gotten to the second half of this film, but uh, the, the, the use of the monoliths as a kind of it's sort of an influencer to the evolution but they have to make the decision to walk up and touch it before anything happens but it's still kind of it's, it's a motive it's like an influencer or a marker of progression in the society because there is one buried on the moon they would have only have discovered that like wh- wh- however it got there it would have only happened that it was discovered if uh, whoever put it there would know that you know humanity has reached that point if they're able to discover it on the moon yeah and of course like it's such an interesting puzzle it's like a cross-generational jigsaw puzzle because now we move into like the second half of the movie where they're kind of following that signal to it where it was, and of course, we do kind of see where it leads by the end of the film. But it's so interesting how the monolith is like this. I always like to think of this film as like a one of those pictures where it's like connect the dots to see the image, and yeah. each monolith is a marker or one of those dots to get the full picture. And I thought that that's a really uh, beautiful way to sum up the evolution of humanity. In a, of course, a really great sci-fi arc, but I, I think there's something very, very elegant and simple about it, because it doesn't show aliens. It, it uses music to convey that there could potentially be an alien influencer. Or it's... Yeah, apparently, according to the book, there is an alien influencer. Their thing was they kept seeing planets where um, like life would sort of start out, but it would sort of falter and drop off. So they left these here to sort of help things along. If that makes sense, yeah, because like it, it causes some kind of technology boom every time or innovation every time they see it and touch it. And like we're hearing about the HAL nine thousand being the most sophisticated, yeah, of his kind. And you can't even open the the loading bay doors. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Now. 
Oh, speaking of that one, that's that's a really scary villain. The calm voice really sells it as being. It's a Canadian actor. Oh yeah. I don't remember his name, but yeah. Canadian computer in space. And oh, the voice is so good because. It has this kind of sardonic wit as a constant undertone, but it's also very dry and sympathetic. So that combination is really disturbing with an AI. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and the part where he, he started killing the, mem- the, the crew, right? Yeah. And, it, and you see this battle of... Uh, of um, I don't remember the name of the captain... Uh, like he starts to disconnect his brain, and so he starts seeing Daisy. You know, it kind of humanizes Dave. Like, da- Dave, yeah, yeah. Dave. Don't kill me, Dave. Right? Like, yeah, yeah. He has a it, breakdown, I guess. It's it's really it's really yeah. weird because it's just that moment of you're kind of killing a person, sort of. It's a, it's a life form, a life in form. its own way. In a yeah, and yeah. And you begin, and, and early in the movie, you see like, well, this is a, like a really cool murder, right? Yeah. Because it's just like I'm just turning off the vital functions of the crew that is sleeping. And and now you see this part where like, please, Dave, don't disconnect me and sing me a song, you know, just to keep it busy. It's 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 strange, you know, those, those weird feelings, especially the voice that you mentioned is a little bit. Sardonic a little bit. Yeah. It's really difficult to pinpoint what is it. Yeah, that must have been such an interesting voiceover session with the director. <laughs> that would have been, I, I wish I wish that footage but existed it, just so you could see how that performance is. But it, it, yeah, and it, it's so clever, so like and you cannot really tell what he's thinking because there's only the only reference that you have is just that the red dot. The red dot that, like, you it is also a camera, so I mean you could perceive it as like an all seeing eye. Yeah. Almost. And I love the lip reading. Oh, yeah. That's how he... That is so disturbing because they think that they're okay. They even turn it around, but there's a little window. Yeah, that's how he tracks the plan of like... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I remember And just the simple shot of just taking away the voices, showing them talk, and then cutting to the red dot eye. and, And you're like, he can read it. Yeah, he knows. That's only two shots. It conveys all of that. It, and it like, brings the suspense and the tension of the following scene to an extreme boiling point. It's really cool. It, and uh, it's, it's a disturbing character, I will say. But, um, but, I mean, it makes sense, you know. Yeah, so be aware of your Alexa at home. <laughs> yeah, watch, watch out for Cortana and Alexa and... Google Home. Well, Cortana's Google already Google. bad. Spoiler alert, Halo 5. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. All right, let's talk about stuff we don't like. I think the obvious elephant in the room is the long, slow shots of spaceships sort of floating around. Well, that's one perspective. Uh, yeah, go on, yeah. Fraser. I want to hear what you have to say. Yeah. And like I said before, the dialogue a lot of times doesn't seem like it's progressing anything. So I'll say those two things. But it's sort of typical of Kubrick from what I've seen. He what? just loves those long, slow shots, you know. Very methodical. And if you don't have a guy like Jack Nicholson who can pull together some of those scenes like he did in The Shining, like, you know, he... he <laughs> Not to be harping on the actors or anything, but like they didn't really make it seem all that interesting when they were talking a lot of the time. It was like there's sort of something would interesting would happen, and then there'd be a whole stretch of like nothing. I like the ten so minutes, uh, the nine or so minutes that is just Hal being interviewed on that Hal and the uh, the guys in space like being interviewed on that talk show. I like that because uh, it it just kind of it gives you the context, but in like a way that isn't like a frying pet on the forehead. Uh, something I didn't like actually is it's. I feel like if you watch the film without fully, like you got to watch it a couple times. I, I will say that, and I the thing I don't like necessarily is the way the ending can lose viewers. As it did lose me when I first watched it, because it's the idea of Dave is 
taken to another dimension where he has aged out and then reborn. Is that another dimension? Or it is meant to be like a... Is, are you sure? It's like to me a, like a space-time dimensional change where he is physically aged out. Yeah. I like how they convey that he's aging, but I just found that like the, the ending and the where the film leaves you... I find is a little alienating if you don't have the context for it. Well, I mean, I really like the movie, so there's no really things I don't like. <laughs> um, but to be honest with you, it's a, it's a, it's a hard movie to digest. It's not like a movie that you kind of understand the first time you watch it. You, you have to give it a couple try, a couple viewings. Yeah. Just to catch up with more details, but it gets more enjoyable. I, f I feel like uh, there's little things to discover to for any for any aspect. If you are into editing, if if you are into sound design, sound design, if you're into uh, art direction, art direct, like also you know the geometry of the shots and how the the sets were were built. <laughs> the, well, the the spaceship. The spaceship, like that's... They had it in a rotating cylinder that they just had the guy walking through. <laughs> so, yeah, that's... Those are like those little details like you, everyone can enjoy the, regardless of what you like about movies. Yeah. Mm. All right. And, uh, and... It's all practical. It's all practical, yeah. Yeah, 100% practical. It looks it's, really good, too. That's true. Yeah. Which, uh... We don't see that much anymore. And, well, that's why I think, like, Interstellar as, like, a modern film, I think that is a worthy, like, spiritual kind of continuation of the idea because the ship's Interstellar models, uh, it uses the idea of not showing aliens, but it conveys, like, a, like an interesting journey, storyline. I feel like they're in a very similar vein in terms of... And it's, speaking of just like Christopher Nolan is bringing 2001's Space Odyssey to Cannes Festival. It's the first time he's going to the festival. Yeah. And because this, this movie is turning 50 years old, uh, he's going to, he managed to go with Warner Brothers at 70 millimeters of rip print. Yeah. And he's going to screen it with members of the Kubrick family and also his uh, longtime producer. And he mentions that it's, it's one of his most influential movies that he shaped him as a director. And, yeah, like... It's easy to see with his work, like Dunkirk. He, Dunkirk, and, 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 yeah. and we just see Interstellar. It's just like... I remember when I watched it the first time, Interstellar, like, yeah, this is like... Uh, you clearly see the, the influences of 2001. Yeah. In here, like, just the, the score, you know, the way it was shot, the... The way that the robots have voices. Voices, yeah, those those like, little details. Yeah, and I really—that's what I really like about this movie of two thousand one. It sort of sets this standard that movie as an art form, not just like a for commercial purposes, but just a way to kind of explore, um, in some way, human condition. Yeah. No, I, I agree with and, that. I think uh, the film is... It, it's it's bigger than a lot of other movies we've talked about, and it is a bit of a milestone year, so it's kind of an interesting phenomenon where we're like, oh, yeah, we'll have to grade it in a, in a few moments. And, but, um, I mean, <laughs> but, yeah, what I'm saying is this movie is one of those that sets... Uh, it pushes the, the art form. It's just something that everyone kind of grabs from it and say like, okay, I got inspired by this movie in this way, so I can improve my craft as a director, editor, uh, sound designer, whatever you, you are into movies. That's that's that, that's why I don't I, I can say like there's nothing I don't, I don't like about this movie. And it's one of the few films that we have that is considered in the genre of like the pulp science fiction. Yeah. Just be in, and it is obviously of the time in the fifties and sixties when a lot of these like serialized sci-fi novels would come out like that, and it's very cool how we get to see something kind of realized into film that is 
done this well, and it's obviously well regarded for uh, its age and also for its influence on what we see now. Like, even the long shots that, Fraser, you mentioned with uh, Star Trek, the motion picture of the ships. And yes, they do go on a long time in the motion picture of Star Trek. They are 100% influenced on this film yeah, and so is after the after watching this I was like man the first Star Trek movie is like a counterfeit version of this in some cases it, and because the, everyone wants to emulate something that worked well even the opening shot of Star Wars when it came out is just that like seeing the Star Destroyer go right over the screen and it takes its time they're setting up the sense of scale in that film and, uh, because Spaceballs 2001 did that shot too let's face it guys Spaceballs <laughs> did it better Fight me? No, I'm kidding. No, no, the Spaceballs one is uh, 4 minutes 27 seconds, by the way. So they kind of <laughs> overused the idea of that. I know, it was supposed to be funny, though. I Bell, timed it once, and I'm... Bill Burke's genius. Yeah. Um, genius. All right. But in terms of when this came out, 1968, what would you guys give it? It's an A. It's okay. an A. No one had ever seen anything quite like this before. It's an A. Is that a triple A rating so far? Uh, it is. Yeah, I, I wrote mine down like just after you guys said. But yeah, it's it's an A. In 1968, 2001 Space Odyssey. Uh, it's a little hard to knock this movie in any direction one way or another. So I obviously I, I don't think I'm biased because I did not like this movie when I first saw it at all. But I recognize what it does, right? And for the time and looking back, it's really awesome. And of course, in 2018, we have films to look forward to like, well, I mean, we've already seen a lot of stuff. We've seen uh, Interstellar, and that's not really fair because Interstellar has a lot of influence from 2001. But if 2001 Space Odyssey came out today, what would you guys give that movie? Man, I mean, and that's it's hard to say, but like, I think I'd give it a B just because I'd be bored to tears for like a certain large chunks of it. So, yeah, she's a B for me. Okay. It's an A for me. Still, I respect the oldies. Mm, all right. Well. And in terms of it standing up, now I'm gonna. I need to agree with one of you, so I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with Alejandro on this one. And, and, almost it was a and, and, almost. It's not so. It is not a gold seal film, which is cool. You were expecting uh, <laughs> a gold seal for this one. I was. I Sorry, I'm, man. I just I can't lie. Like I mean, no, 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 and that's totally fair it's because not quite. <laughs> that's why we don't aggregate our scores unless it's like a perfect score to a gold seal. But we do have the individual grades. I mean, B is still really good, but. Um, it's yeah. just, large chunks of it are amazing. Large chunks of it, though, did bore me quite a bit. So sorry about that, folks. And it's also this is a long movie. Yeah. Right? It's long. All right. yeah, it's about the same length as Aliens. Is it really? Yeah. Aliens is that long? Yeah. Well, Aliens certainly it's Because you didn't watch that movie theater. All right. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so that's kind of a... That's, a, that, that's our grade. Uh, so nearly a gold seal, but, I mean... You gotta respect the system, right? I mean, we we've set this up in such a way that we do get to give our opinions, and I think this has been a very very good discussion on this classic film. And guys, if this ever comes to TIFF for the seventy millimeter showcase, like it did the last two years, uh, I would like to go. And I encourage listeners to also take a look at that. But you know what, my uh-huh. I mean, you know what's kind of cool about doing this show is we get to discuss all these awesome movies, these awesome games, and I was playing my favorite game of all time, uh, Bioshock Infinite, uh, earlier this week. Started that again. But my second favorite game is something we're about to play. It's called the Retrograders Trivia Challenge. No! (laughs) The one where Alejandro doesn't like to play even though he wins 50% of the time. Which is true. (laughs) Okay. So, I'm going to be asking five questions. These are all short answer. You guys will probably guess most of these. Obviously, whoever answers first. Just do it. Just do it. All right. What? Okay, question one. What is the full title of the third film? I just got to write down my... What is the full title of the third film... 
in the Mad Max series. Oh, Mad Max uh, Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah, something with a Thunderdome. I don't care. Yeah, Fraser Welcome gets a point. To the Thunderdome, Alejandro. Let's face it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sure. Real deal. We have that movie on Blu-ray over there. Yeah, you're Chris, you're Sean, actually. He gave it to me. Yeah, I gave you the... I got the poster for it, too, somewhere. But, you, but you don't get the Fury Road in black and white, so... That's why I, I gave oh, you my... So, I, I don't the, know, man. I don't know what kind of... Uh, actually, I have nice still my, are you? I still have my DVD of Fury Road, too. I'm looking over. It's still there. Well, then Alejandro can have the Blu-ray. Oh, hey, no. No, whoa. Hey. Whoa. Well, if, no, if you oh, already hey. bought it, I mean, it's only fair I gave it to you, but if you already had it, <laughs> I mean, there's, two, there's a DVD in there. As well, so I mean, you guys can fight over ownership of that. All right, stuff. Yeah, we, we can't enter so, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Let's remember, two may uh, two will two enter, enter, one may leave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just Thunderdome and out for the future of Fury Road. So, question number two: The Color of Magic is the first book in what long-running fantasy series? Terry Pratchett's Discworld. Fraser's got it. How you know this? That one's been on my list of books to read for quite a while. And you haven't? You've watched last week. <laughs> now, oh Fraser, God. if you don't get the next one, I will be disappointed. All right, let's do right. it. But Alejandro Beat it. still has a good opportunity. Xena, Warrior Princess, Uh-oh. was a spinoff from what television show? Hercules: The Legendary Journeys. Uh, Yep, Uh, so I'm going to read the other ones. Which show aired on television first? The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits? Twilight Zone. I think it was The Outer Limits, actually. Alejandro's got it. Oh, really? Did it say what year? Uh, 1959. I thought that was more of the 60s, and I thought The Outer Limits was the 50s. I guess I had that backwards. Yeah. Complete the line from the opening of Star Wars. May the force be with you. Wait until I finish the Is question. Is the title crawl? A long time ago. In a faraway galaxy. In a far, gal- far away galaxy. Gal- in a galaxy far, far away. Yeah, Fraser's got the oh correct phrasing there. Uh, I'm actually going to extend our trivia because it's the one-year anniversary. Let's oh, do wow. a few more. Oh no, don't God. worry, guys. It's nine questions instead of five. What video game series includes... Human super soldiers known as Spartans. Halo. Halo. Yeah, Fraser's got that. Halo. <laughs> the character Judge Dredd from the comic book oh my God. Okay. 2000 AD operates in what city? Detroit. In the metro city or something like that? Mega City One. Mega City One. All right, very yeah. um. Two more. Oh my God. All right. NGE is an acronym for what popular anime series? ANG? NGE. Uh, New Genesis Evangelion, something like that? Yep. Yeah, New mm. Genesis Okay, I, I wouldn't have gotten that one. And finally, from what London train station can you get the Hogwarts Express? It's something a half. No, they what train orders. station? Oh, I don't know. What train station? I'm, I don't know, dude. Not the platform. The, the platform nine and three quarters. That's it. Well, that the, I said. What do you know? Do you guys know the station? King's Cross. Yes. All right. <laughs> All right. So Fraser's got it. That's a six to two advantage over Alejandro. I wanted to extend it a little bit. Maybe give Alejandro a bit more of a fighting chance. But, uh, happy anniversary, guys. This is our one-year anniversary of the Retrogrades podcast. Uh, you've been listening to us if you started from the beginning. For a full year, we've got over <laughs> we've got over th- almost uh, two and a half days of content up on SoundCloud and iTunes. You can mm-hmm. listen to over the past year. We can listen to your voice for over two days. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah. Uh, you know, it's been one year. Are you guys proud of the accomplishment of being able to do a podcast for one year? And well, it's been a quite interesting. It's been an interesting experience. Enjoying so far. Uh, looking forward for more movies to I get, retrograde. I guess. Yep. We'll see and, what happens. And, and I've got an exciting announcement. Uh, back in October, we started a uh, tradition at Retrograders that you guys may not have been aware of. 
See, next week is Friday the 13th. No! And because we did Friday the 13th already in October when it was Friday the 13th, it got me thinking, what can we do every Friday the 13th? Then I looked at how There's many. Lengthly then I looked at how many films there are in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. We so could do the reboot even because it's ten years old. <laughs> Just about. Well, it will be by the time we get to it because next week we are doing Friday the Thirteenth Part Two. And that's what it's called. Right. So let's, uh, you know, thanks again, folks. If you've been listening to us from the beginning, you're probably the only one. Um, <laughs> Just kidding, but uh, we appreciate you. Thanks for listening. And stay Folks. safe in Friday's routine. Yeah, don't uh, cross under any ladders or let a black cat cross your path or um, or step on a crack. Or, or avoid a man with a mask and a machete. <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to stay safe. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, you know what, folks? Thanks. The Retrograders Podcast releases new episodes every Friday on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play for your convenience. If you'd like to hear more from Retrograders, check us out at facebook.com forward slash Retrograders Podcast. We also post regularly on Twitter and Instagram at Retrograders Pod. If you really want to get in touch with us or have your burning questions answered on air, send an email directly to retrograderspodcast at gmail.com and we'll get back to you as soon as we can. From everyone here at Retrograders, thank you and catch you next week. Just remember to look at the stars.